Military servicemen and women and their long-suffering families are a very important group of people to me. They exemplify so movingly what Jesus described as the greatest of loves, the willingness to actually lay down your life for a friend. It angers and saddens me deeply to see civilians who've never risked anything feel qualified and licensed to condemn the people who were willing to lay down their lives in love for the mates beside them and the nation behind them. One of the greatest shames we ever endured was the lack of welcome and respect some in this nation gave to Vietnam veterans upon their return. I always say thank you to veterans I meet because I need to practice gratitude. We as a nation could improve our national character a lot if we were more grateful for our freedom and for those willing to defend us to the death. When I host events and conferences, I always add veterans to the list of people who are offered a discounted ticket, even though I know nearly none are going to feel like they should take advantage. I want them to know they are valued by me and by us, and so I offer it anyway. So please get in the habit of saying thank you for your service. And if you're a current or past defense member, please graciously allow us to be grateful, even if it makes you uncomfortable. We need pacifism like a hole in the head, which we're more likely to actually get if we stop appreciating and honoring the courage and sacrifice of our armed forces and have a nation of virtue-signaling pacifists instead. But war takes an enormous toll on the souls of our servicemen and women, and nearly half will end up with soul wounds from the trauma of their service. It can happen to anyone and the strongest of us. In the next half hour, I am going to introduce you to a fourth generation soldier, a decorated officer and a veteran of many deployments. Andy overcame a tremendous battle with PTSD and is continuing to fight today to save the lives of many other veterans, first responders and the wider community by sharing his story and the secrets of recovery from trauma. This is well worth your time and attention because the reality is you probably know dozens of people suffering, probably silently, and asking people, are you okay once a year, just isn't enough. If you're suffering from trauma personally, please watch this episode and the second segment on my website, davepello.com, and understand this right now. Though you may not see it or feel it right now, and it may seem completely beyond grasp, there is hope. There is hope for you. There is hope. Listen to Andy's testimony, watch to the end, and then get in touch with him because you are not alone. You are loved, you have a purpose and a mission yet to be fulfilled, and there is real hope for your life. This is the Church and State Show, and I'm Dave Pellow. May all that you stand for, and that we stand for, be preserved under the providence of God, for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law, and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. Andy Cullen, 
Welcome to the Church and State Show. Thank you. You're a third generation soldier. Yeah, that's correct. So tell me about, um, you retired as a major. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about your, your career, your service, your deployment, um, the, the core and unit you were with um, sure. when, you, when you left. Um, so I did 17 years in the Australian Army. Uh, joining the military was something I always knew I would do. My father served 50 years. Um, my grandfather served, my great-grandfather served. I knew Fourth I generation soldier. Yeah, wow. I knew I wanted to, to join the military at a very young age. I sort of grew up traveling around, seeing my dad in service. Um, I viewed the military as a, a great organization, one of honor and pride. And I thought, this makes sense to me. It sort of answered that service call on my heart that I've always had to be a part of something bigger than myself and to give back to community. So I was always raised with a very um, patriotic um, sure. upbringing and I love the country. It's such um, an admirable, I mean, if, I, I don't think I'm rare. As an Aussie, I think that's such an incredible family legacy to have. Mm. Your dad served for 50 years. You're the fourth generation to serve. Um, that's amazing. And uh, I, I fear the, the words, thank you for your service, become trite. And I know most Aussie soldiers <laughs> aren't comfortable with them. Um, but yeah. I, I actually think it's really important for us to say thank you and to uh, be grateful. I agree. It's something that I wasn't comfortable with initially. And I think it's that tall poppy syndrome that we have in Australia. I've spent a bit of time in the US and seen the patriotism that is displayed openly and honestly over there. And it's a beautiful thing, and I think we could learn something from that and probably uh, show a bit more honour and respect toward the, the men and women that do and have served this nation. Mm. And the reality is people, when they do say thank you for your service, genuinely mean it. So um, yeah. it's not something you hear often, but now I, I like to think of it as that's wonderful and you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's awesome. So... Um, how, what unit were you in um, for, for the, the end of your career? Yeah, so by the, I started as an infantry soldier, sort of bottom of the bottom. Really? Uh, yeah, a private uh, and you know, carrying heavy things on my back and, and learning how to shoot things. Yeah. Um, but throughout my career, I was sort of created a bit of trouble for those that were in uh, command positions by often questioning things. Yeah. I just had that sort of personality where I don't just like doing things for the sake of doing them. I like to understand why and is this the best way that we can yeah, do it? I wouldn't have thought there was any room in the uh, army for uh, that personality. There's, there's not a lot. So uh, my commanding officer at the time uh, picked me up and said, mate, I think you need to think about going and, and becoming an officer. And he uh, submitted an application on my behalf to Royal Military College. So after a few years as a soldier, um, I went into RMC yeah. and was transferred from infantry into the Royal Australian Engineers. And that's where I learned my love of all things explosive. So the, the sort of last 10 years of my career were focused in um, explosive ordnance disposal or bomb disposal. Yeah. And so a big part of that job was IEDs, like improvised explosive devices, um, understanding how and why the enemy uh, targets our, our soldiers and what was effectively the most um, extensively used weapon against us in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, you know, everything from biological, chemical, nuclear warfare. I loved all that stuff. So 
um, you know, from growing up on a farm and making my own sort of incendiary devices to now being paid to play with explosives. It was a good career choice for me. So. <laughs> Released your or uh, channeled your inner redneck. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that, you know, I just loved it. I loved my career. I loved the opportunities that it afforded me, uh, the opportunities that it afforded my, my family, the experiences I gained from it, the friendships, um, mm. working alongside some of the, the most amazing people this country has ever produced that have just a heart of service and, and are there for the right reasons. Yeah. And, you know, going to some incredible places. I've visited many places overseas in my career, including uh, on operations in Afghanistan. Was that the only theatre you were deployed to? I was deployed throughout Southeast Asia, um, Malaysia, um, went to the US, but for warlike operations was Afghanistan. And I did two extended tours in Afghanistan, one in 2008, was eight months, and one in 2012, 13, which ended up being 13 months deployed, yeah. And am I correct in thinking, remembering, um, that you were attached to special forces units? Yeah, part of our job as bomb disposal EOD, it's a limited resource. Um, it's sort of a brigade level asset. So it's something that we don't have a lot of, yet the main threat was IEDs. So we'd have small units that would be attached and sent out to support whoever on the ground was required. So on occasion, that would be supporting Australian Special Forces operators, that would be supporting US Special Forces operators and even the Dutch back in 2008. Wow. And... When you retired from the army, uh, was that aging out? You just had enough, or why? Yeah, it was. What, what was, was a catalyst? <laughs> it was a point I wasn't ready to do it. So my career was really moving up. I had uh, subunit command in my in my path, uh, going on to unit command. This was a career that was looking very promising. Um, I'd done particularly well, and I loved my job. Um, the problem came where the balance wasn't right for home life. So on, at the end of my last deployment, I've been away for 13 months. My wife was effectively raising three kids by herself um, and she gave me an ultimatum. She said, right, I've given you this many years. Um, it's now time you give back to the family. She needed support to raise the kids and my priority was with the military. And that's something that a career like the military demands. It's, it's, uh, it's not a job, nine to five, it is all in or nothing at all. And unfortunately, we see a lot of marriages fail through military service. But yeah. I, uh, I made the decision at that point, I wanted to commit to my family. So I discharged from the military after 17 years service. Um, I was poached pretty quickly to go and work in counter-terrorism, um, bomb disposal type areas. There's not a lot of people filling those positions. So got straight into a was really- Was that federal police? Yeah, I was training federal police, um, doing uh, sales and all sorts of different stuff, okay. training military and just bomb disposal equipment and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, and good pay, everything was, was looking right. Mm. Uh, but within about six months of fiddling that position, uh, I had a complete mental breakdown. Uh, ended up in a psych ward and- What did that look like? It was a scary process. I was... Uh, Before diagnosis, yeah. what were the symptoms, behaviours? Yeah, so I was experiencing a lot of issues that I'd come to see in some of my soldiers previously, things like lack of sleep, nightmares. I started to experience hallucinations, which were very scary. Um, a lot of anger and rage. 
um, lack of emotion toward people that should be really uh, important to me. I, 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 lo I lost empathy for my own children and my wife. I wanted to be alone. I wanted to isolate from the world. I started to really uh, just want to escape from society and I used alcohol and, and medication, prescription medication to, to try and dull those um, experiences. But what I, what I was really suffering from was a deeper moral injury. Um, I was, I'd lost my identity because my identity was so wrapped up in my uniform and my job and my rank and my title that when I was out of the military, I sort of felt, who am I? I was doing something with great purpose, now I'm doing something for money. And in intense structures yeah. for you to grow in and, and support. So it, I was just like a, a, a ship in the ocean without a rudder. I was, I was getting blown around. I didn't know how to deal with the symptoms that I was facing. I didn't want to speak to anyone about it because I thought my, my understanding was mental health or post-traumatic stress and these issues only happened to people that were already predisposed to that. They had a weak mind, they had a, a weak uh, moral understanding of the world or, or there was some other issue with that individual. So when I sort of... And that's not the case. Well, no, it's not. But I didn't know that at the time. When I started to experience those things, I thought, well, now I'm weak. Now there's something wrong with me. And, and that led to a self-hatred and suicidal ideation and uh, a really dark depression. So it was not a good place for me. It was not a good place for my family and my relationship with my wife. But um, fortunately, through that process, I found healing. I found hope restored. I found um, support through my wife primarily and my family mm -hmm. and my community. And I found faith. And that was the thing that actually saved my life and brought me back to a position of um, confidence and, and understanding of who I am and, and that I have purpose and that I'm loved and, and I still have great worth. Um, so yeah, that process was, it was the hardest six years of my life. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. It was horrific for, not just for me, but for everyone around me, yeah. my, my kids and my wife. I, um, I actually want to take a moment to acknowledge and thank the heroism of army wives mm. and all defence wives, the families that are left behind and husbands, I guess, as well. Um, just the, the courage it takes to understand and change your life every time they go away and change it back every time they come back and, and then to deal with, with their emotional, as you put it, moral um, and, and mental wounds. Mm. Um, I, I think they're nearly as heroic as those we put on the front line to yeah. sacrifice their lives. Um, and the, the difference is they don't sign up for it. <laughs> it's not their choice. It's thrust upon them. Um, so it's a, yeah, something that I am, have been for many years just very aware of the, the service of the family of our service members. Yeah, it's an important point. I mean, they often get overlooked. You know, we have days like Anzac Day, which are a really positive thing, um, but we often don't remember that for every serving member, there's a family and a community behind that person that allows them to serve. Yeah, that's right. And, and even if they're not making the choice to be part of that, they make the choice to allow it. Mm. Um, 
uh, for as long as it's tolerable, but no, nobody should allow their family to be destroyed. Mm. Um, so your wife actually made a, a, a brave intervention, really saying, you've got a family that needs you as well. Yeah, it kind of backfired because <laughs> I went from a, a pretty healthy, I was still experiencing some issues within service, but I kind of did this thing where I just put it to the back of my mind and not think about it and ignore it, mm. you know, override and, and move through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, going through that separation of the military was a catalyst for me. Um, it was also a recognition of sort of that the, the big machine of the military keeps on moving without you and ultimately you can just feel like a number. And so what was once your family now feels like a, a very distant memory. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, sort of betrayal emotions and, and things that people go through when they separate service that if left unchecked and, and people don't know how to deal with them, then they can be quite destructive. And yep. that's the thing. Like I was, I had no idea how to deal with this stuff and yeah. I, I wasn't willing to openly talk about it. Yeah. And that was the problem. Back then there was still a a huge stigma around PTSD, around mental health issues. Um, I remember even in service not mentioning any things that were occurring throughout my service because there's fear of, well, if you mention that, then it's career suicide. Yeah. So it was just very much a process of ignore and override and keep pushing through. Yeah. But, um, you know, ultimately it, it, uh, it all fell apart and I ended up in a psych ward at Corumban Clinic. You're watching the Church and State Show, and I'm Dave Pello, and I'm sitting with retired Army Major Andy Cullen, and we're talking about his story, his testimony, and his experience both in service and after service. This could be a fairly long conversation, um, so the full version or, or second segment of this after this show is finished will be available on my website, davepello.com. If you want to head there at the end of this episode, we'll resume that, that conversation there and you'll be able to enjoy the full amount. So you ended up at a psych ward. I mean, how did you even get there? Did you self-admit? Did your wife call an ambulance? Yeah, I got to a point where I had a, a bit of an episode um, whilst interstate on a, on a work trip um, and I realised... I needed to come home and I wasn't able to perform my job. Mm. And I basically immediately went into an alcohol binge and that resulted in um, suicidal ideation where I knew I was in trouble. Um, I actually went for a walk with a friend, I reached out to have a chat to someone and he encouraged me to, um, to check myself into hospital. So was he an army? He's an ex-Navy uh, guy, yeah. And um, so I went into hospital um, at the clinic and probably that, that medical intervention at that point saved my life. Um, but I remember I was in there and there was this guy came around and knocked on the door and he was a, a veteran, a uh, Vietnam War veteran who was volunteering his time to check in on veterans that were admitted to the hospital. Wow. He was there visiting someone else and he asked if there were other veterans there and Legend. he found me and he, he asked me, you know, are you financially okay? Is, is your family okay? And I said, um, actually, no, like I've lost my job. Um, I can't put food on the table, I can't pay the mortgage, um, I don't know what to do. 
and he was amazing. So when I discharged, I, never, I discharged voluntarily, so I never had any process or contact with Department of Veterans Affairs. There was no real support because I didn't need any, um, so I didn't know what the process was. And I thank God that day that he walked in because he immediately put in uh, some stop gaps, which removed some of the additional burdens that I was carrying, like providing for my family. Uh, the immediate financial need. Um, so I was very thankful for that. And he set up that connection with DVA. Um, whilst I was in there, I picked up a Bible and I wasn't one to particularly read the Bible. Did um, you consider yourself a Christian already? To some extent. Your family went to church? Uh, occasionally, very rarely. So I was sort of raised as a nominal Catholic. I'd go to church on Easter and Christmas, uh, sort of get dragged along. And, and I had this understanding of a child that God existed, um, but I didn't understand the religiosity behind the, the Catholic Church experience, and I didn't understand a, a personal relationship with God. Right. Um, what happened over, over a few deployments to Afghanistan was I nearly died a couple of times, and I found myself praying. Um, in those moments of prayer, I found peace and was okay with whatever happened and was wow. able to move through. My wife was also a born-again Christian. Okay. So she'd often spoken to me about Christ, about a relationship with Jesus. Um, her mother relentlessly told me about God okay. uh, to the point of my frustration where I'd say, don't tell me about your God, I'm not interested. So your wife was raised in a Christian home and she was a born-again Christian before mm. you got married? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't. I was agnostic. Um, yeah. But through witnessing the way she lived her life, witnessing the way her family lived, and that they had a real active relationship with God, it sort of awoken something in me. And this was a process of faith that took a long time for me. I've got a, a brain that needs to understand uh, process. I'm very quite scientifically minded. I'm like, okay, how old's the planet? What about the dinosaurs? I need to know all this stuff. So I'd started to look into things like apologetics and found a level of faith increasing, but always getting to that point of knowledge where there's another question yep. and getting to that faith gap and saying, well, I'd always reach a point where I have to make a decision even though I don't understand, but I never quite got there. And I was at the hospital, suicidal, picked up the Bible, and I read, opened it to 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. It said, you are not made with the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of sound mind. My response was to laugh out loud. Like I, I read that and thought, this is the exact opposite to what my life is. Yes. I had no love for myself or even my own family. Mm. I'd completely emotionally detached. Um, I wanted to die. Power, I'd lost my job, my rank, my title, everything that had, I had worked towards in my life was gone, it was stripped away. Mm. And sound mind, I was literally in a psych ward. Yeah. So I read it again and I thought about it and I, I, I said, righto, God, if you're real, you need to show up now because I've reached the bottom of myself. I can't do this any longer. I didn't know how to walk forward out of this darkness. Yeah. And um, I had an experience. It wasn't this miraculous change. It wasn't like I, I had a, a picture of an angel or anything. 
all I got was this quietness in my soul. And for a moment, I saw a glimmer of hope that perhaps my life could be different than what it currently was. Perhaps what God's word was saying about who I am could be true over my life. And so I started to meditate on that. I started to think about it. What if I could be powerful? What if I could be made of love? What if I could have a sound mind? What would my life look like? And I went through this process and um, it was a process of surrender over, over you know, a, a few weeks and months that led to ultimately this surrender to Christ and, and saying, I don't want to live my life my way anymore. Yeah. I see there's a better way. I want to follow you. I want to dedicate my life to you. And ever since I did that, my life's never looked the same. In fact, the more I've, I've pursued faith, the more I don't even recognize the person I used to be. So within the military, I was very aggressive. I was, you get in front of me, I will walk over your corpse to achieve what I need to do. Um, and I was very focused and determined. And that served me very well in my career. But that person is not the same person I am today. I'm focused on loving my family, loving my friends, loving my community and sharing the gospel with people. And I'm a much happier, healthy human being yeah. because of that change. And, and the reality is the only, only reason that uh, occurred is because of the redemptive love of Christ. And yeah. he reached into my life and pulled me out of the darkness. Praise God. So what's the ministry, the charity that you now run together with your wife, uh, ministering to people from all kinds of backgrounds, whether they're Christian or not, for their trauma recovery? Yeah, it's a really interesting story. The, the charity we run is called PTSD Resurrected, and we support individuals and families suffering from trauma. We started out supporting veterans and first responders that had experienced trauma as a result of their service. Today, we share these courses, free courses, with everyone in the community, regardless of your background or trauma. Um, and it's amazing. It provides Christ-centered healing, so biblical tools to help people understand their trauma, process it, and deal with it to achieve a better, brighter future. Um, these courses have been around since around 2010. They were developed in the USA. Right. And the story behind how we found them was just amazing. So we were going through our own healing journey as a family. Um, my, I was seeing a psychologist at the time who encouraged me to write down some of the traumas in a way of um, sort of getting them out of my head and, and, and processing them. And so I started writing. I didn't know at the time, but that was eventually going to be a book. My wife started reading what I was writing and uh, as all good wives do, corrected me because it was apparently incorrect. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, why don't you write your own story? And this was a really good process where we weren't communicating well at the time. Our marriage was really rocky, but this sort of process of writing our stories brought us together in a, in a beautiful way wow. where we were able to communicate again. Ultimately, we'd written uh, two stories and I had a friend read it and she, she encouraged us that this story needs to be made available to people that are suffering because it, it brings hope and yeah. into the darkness of what a lot of people were dealing with, this, this, 
this process of trauma through PTSD and depression and anxiety. And so we prayed about it and uh, we decided to publish the book. And that process, Zoe actually had a vision of me speaking in America. And she shared that vision with me at a time in my life when I was still really unwell. And I remember saying to her, don't be crazy. Like, that, that's ridiculous. I'm barely getting out of bed in the morning. And you're having this vision of me speaking to crowds of hundreds of people in America. Yeah. Well, I've learned to, to uh, trust in my wife's vision. And sure enough, we ended up in America on a book tour, speaking to hundreds of people throughout, wow. throughout the States. Um, and we kept hearing about this course called Reboot, Reboot Combat Recovery. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode and we'll get right back into it in just a minute. But first, I want to invite you to the next Church and State Conference in Perth on the 4th and 5th of August. Use the code GS20GS20 to save 20% on your tickets at churchandstate.com.au. This is a brilliant event to bring people to who are not interested in politics. That's right. Every single event we hold, people come up to me and say something to the effect of, this is the first church and state event I've ever been to, and if I had have known it was going to be this good, I would have made my friends come. Or, it's such a shame there weren't twice as many people here. Head to the website, churchandstate.com.au to get more information and your tickets, and if you're not in Perth, you can watch the live stream on ADH TV for free. We have more conferences coming up in Adelaide and Brisbane and other locations around Australia. And details about them are on the website too. So head to churchandstate.com.au to get more info or grab your tickets now and save 20% with the code GS20, GS20. Now let's get back to the show. See, when I decided I want to get better, I did everything within my power to understand what was happening to me and I went to every course I could find that, that promised to help me heal. What I realized was there was not a lot of stuff around. Right. Um, there was very few uh, things available to me and my family. That's surprising. There was nothing. Like the, the course I went to... The like people... I, I think we are so far down the track of acknowledging that PTSD is not a stigma. It affects, especially in an age of non-stop operations in mm. foreign theatres, where it just everybody's got it. Yeah, this is yeah. not a new thing. 48% of people that serve in the military will experience a mental health issue after serving. It, it, it's shocking to me today sitting here to hear that PTSD trauma recovery isn't a commonly available... Well, they had courses. They just weren't answering any of the questions I had. I remember doing a course in Corumban, and it was led by a, uh, a facilitator who was a psychiatrist. Um, and we were sitting in this circle and there was a bunch of people in there. There was Vietnam veterans, there was police officers, there was a couple of Ambos and there was an Iraq veteran and there was another Afghan veteran and myself. And I remember him going around the room and just asking people, you know, how was your week? And I heard people one after another after another talk about how depressing their life was, how much it sucked, how much they didn't want to be here. And there was all this negativity. By the time it got to me, I said, I'd rather not say anything. And the facilitator said, no, I really want to encourage you to speak. And I said, okay. Well, the reality is I'm sitting here in this room. My war is still happening. These guys' war finished a couple of decades ago 
And if I'm still like that in a few years' time, I don't want to be here today. Right. So there was no hope in the experience that I was Can't receiving. Can't live without hope. That's right. And so I had to look outside of what was available. And I looked to faith and family and community, and I received it. So we went through this, this six-year journey of healing from PTSD. We're in the States now, shared our, our testimony and our story, and um, eventually we got to meet the people that created this Reboot Combat Recovery Program. When we sat down with them, they took us through what was a 12-week program, like a 12-step program. Each week, people would get together, share a meal, and go through a, a training. The training sessions that they'd had was the exact thing that we'd walked through over six years. And they'd put it into this 12-week program. Wow. And I thought, this is what I've been looking for. This is, this is answering the questions of my hurting soul. Yeah. This is answering those moral injury issues of purpose, identity, um, unforgiveness, the key things that I needed to heal from to move through to achieve a happier, healthier life. And um, I said to the guys, look, this is amazing. We've got nothing like this in Australia. Can we take it to Australia? And they said, yes, take it. So in 2017, we run our first reboot uh, combat recovery course here on the Gold Coast with the support of Kurum and RSL. Um, from that time, it's expanded nationally. We're now supported by RSL Queensland, um, Department of Veterans Affairs, um, independent support. And we, we provide hope, healing and purpose to a huge amount of the, the community that is suffering yeah. because this course addresses those fundamental issues of people's suffering. And it walks them through a practical way of finding healing. And it's done in an environment that is supportive. It's done without lab coats and white doctors. It's done delivered by individuals with a lived experience. Wow. So people automatically feel like they can feel safe. Yeah. They're, they're understood. They're not going to be judged or, or poked and prodded and answer a thousand questions, but they're there to learn and to heal. Mm. And the results are amazing. We've now had this course independently reviewed by organisations like the Gallipoli Medical Research Foundation, which has shown an improved, sustained improvement of over 30%. Wow. Over 30% yeah. across psychosocial measures. Now, 30% might sound like a low success rate. What's the, the benchmark you're comparing that to? Well, for something to reach clinical trials and approvals, they've got to have over 7% improvement. So things like EMDR or, you know, there's heat. What's that? It's a, a, a particular therapy that, that, you know, helps people with PTSD and depression. There's all these different therapies around. Mm. So to get a score of above 30% is astronomical. Okay. So we were seeing, getting a lot of doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists asking, hang on, why? Why is this achieving so well? Well, I know why, because Christ is in it and he's shown us a pathway to healing and that is available to everyone because we are mind, body and spirit. This is the fundamental um, paradigm of my ministry is that it's church and state, but so it means we talk about theology and or politics. But I think they're necessarily the same thing because what's God designed, he's the, the architect and he's got the blueprints and his plan for how it should work also includes plans for restoration. When we break it or when it gets broken by just life, 
that that going back to the designer, the creator, um, that's how we fix our nation, and it's that's how we fix our soldiers. It's, yeah, the blueprints it's how we fix are there. our lives. The blueprints are available to us, and they're all contained in scripture. Yeah, um, it's so, just calibrating and cooperating. Yeah, with truth. That's right, and but people need to be exposed to truth. Yes, they need to experience it, to hear it, and to to employ it in their lives. So, mm. a lot of the treatments that I search for within Australia were addressing the mind and the body mm. but they weren't addressing the spirit so we are mind body and spirit and they all interact and you can't have one without the other right. and they all work together correct so if we're only addressing two of the three legs then this chair is going to fall over that's right and unfortunately that's what we see so the the reboot courses address the mind, the body. I, I know the, the same spirit. thing happens in, re, in regard to the abortion topic, which I'm much more studied on than, than PTSD. However, it is a trigger of PTSD. Mm. That post-abortive women will often go to six or seven different therapists to try and get healing for what you're calling the moral wounds mm. that Soul they've wounds. suffered. Um, and, and there is no help for them. until, And that is because all those therapists refuse to acknowledge that abortion is a wounding event. Absolutely. Uh, and when they embrace that truth and cooperate with it, you see, and I've heard of so many poor women who've been looking for healing and looking for hope, and then all of a sudden somebody brings truth into their therapy and there is hope for them. And look, uh, to, I mean, this has to be political because this is the church and state show, but it's the same thing with the mental health epidemic amongst people who are gender confused. Oh, absolutely. When you refuse to cooperate with truth, you are going to sustain injuries. Yeah. A big part of what we do is help people understand their own identity, that they were created on purpose. Correct. With a unique responsibility right. and, and goals for the world. Like that they have everything. They were designed perfectly to achieve God's will in their life. Mm. Then they're not lacking in anything. But unfortunately, the world will tell you you're not good enough, you know, the comparison trap and you're a failure and all of these lies that people take on themselves yeah. and destroy their identity. They, we're often our own worst critic. And that negative voice, if left unaddressed, un can lead to depression and suicidal ideation. Yeah. You know, th things like guilt and shame. Shame, a powerful emotion, which again leads to death if not addressed and cut off. Yeah, exactly right. Unforgiveness of self and others. You know, this uh, forgiveness is one of the biggest keys to mental health. Absolutely. If we hold on to unforgiveness, effectively it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Exactly. And that works on ourselves as well. If I we move that was through a Nelson life, Mandela quote. Yeah, if we move through life with this unforgiveness of ourselves, then we destroy ourselves as well. And we know as Christians, true forgiveness is found in Christ. So we expose people to where is forgiveness found, who is truth, yeah. and how do we address this in a practical way in our own lives. Yeah. I want to keep talking with you. Um, and so we'll make that the next segment. We'll go into some more of these details. But uh, for those people who are just going to watch this episode on ADH TV or The Good Source, um, how can they find out more if they want to access um, the help that you're offering and that your courses are offering around Australia? And how can they uh, maybe refer some loved ones to you if, sure. if that's a thing? 
and how can they financially support you? So everything we do is free. We don't charge anything. We are a registered DGR charity. What does that mean? Anything over $2 donation is tax deductible. Um, so we, are, we fund our courses nationally, both face-to-face -face and online. People can look at those courses at our website at rebootau.org, so .org. Um, we advertise our courses. If people are seeking support in their area and they don't know where to turn, get onto the website, contact details are on there. You can email us and we'll see what we can do. We're also looking at expanding significantly. We want to take Reboot to communities that need us, right? So if you're out there in an area where you know there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of trauma in your community and Reboot could support you and your community, get in touch, we'll do everything we can to come and help. Brilliant. We're also seeing a lot of pain and unaddressed trauma in the church community. And wow. this is something I wanted to talk to you about. We get a lot of... We'll talk about it in the next episode, yeah. in the next segment. Um, uh, we'll go into the detail, but give us the 10-second the, the, the version. We're seeing a lot of people who are Christians and they have a faith, but still have unaddressed trauma and they're not living free. I know it. Yeah. And the church is not addressing it. No. So this is... Uh, an opportunity to bring freedom and healing to our brothers and sisters in Christ yep. who need it. So are you looking for church invitations Sunday morning yeah, as absolutely. well as uh, workshops with churches? Yeah, we want to do our, our workshops. We, want, we can do one, two, three-day programs. We can come and support your community. So good. So if there's opportunity there and you're thinking this can help, Jump yep. on our website, check out the videos and see the details. And what about people who want to put some some material uh, gratitude behind yeah. their, their thanks to, well, I mean, the job you've done for the nation and are continuing to do, as well as all the other veterans. You're providing this for free, but it's not free. It costs you. You still Absolutely. have to eat and, yeah, we and travel. A, we have a, a ministry team. We need to get them around, and it costs money. Yep. Um, so there is opportunity to support us as a charity. You can jump on our website. There's some donation uh, links there. Every dollar helps us. So we're not a big charity. There's yep. not all these administrative overheads. Every dollar goes to delivering a course to an individual in need. And often most of our finances comes from people who have participated on the course yeah. and realise the benefit that they've received and want to pay it forward. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, it's really positive. Awesome. Well, we will uh, continue this conversation in the next segment. If you want to see that, jump on to davepello.com and uh, head to the Church and State episode uh, where, it's, um, where I'm talking with Andy Cullen. And um, in the meantime, if uh, this is the end of the episode for you, uh, thank you very much for watching. Um, head to davepello.com anyway to sign up to the newsletter, um, davepello.com. And that's how we beat the big tech censors. So I don't even bother posting on YouTube or in Facebook these days. I, I reach not even 1% of the people who follow me. It's not enough to follow me on social media. You need to be getting that newsletter in your email inbox once a week. Um, so head there, sign up that. And thank you to the people who do support me every month to be able to continue this ministry. That's it for this episode though, and we will see you next week. Today, we need a special kind of courage. Not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, 
so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.